Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Chapter 4. Far away, on the opposite spot arm of the galaxy, 500,000 light years away from the star Sol, Zerfoid Beta Box, President of the Imperial Galactic Government, spread across the seas of the Dolgoran, his ion drive delta boat wrinkling and flashing in the Dolgoran sun. Dolgoran, the hot Dolgoran, the remote Dolgoran, almost totally unheard of. Dolgoran, secret home of the heart of gold, the boat sped on across the world on the water. It would be the same time before it reached its destination, for Dolgoran is such an inconveniently arranged planet. It consists of nothing but milling of the large desert islands, separated by very pretty but annoyingly wild stretches of ocean. The boat sped on. Because of this tropical tropical awkwardness, Dolgoran was always maintained a desert, deserted island planet. This is why the Imperial Galactic Government chose Dolgoran for the Heart of Gold project because it was so deserted and the heart of gold was so secret. The boat zipped and set, skipped across the sea, a sea that lay between the main islands of the, the whole of the only archipelago of any useful size on the whole planet. Seafood beer box was on his way from like, a tiny spaceport in the eastern island. The name was entirely meaningless coincidence in galactic speak. Easter means small flat and light brown to the heart Goldland Island, which by another meanest coincidence was called France. One of the side effects of work on the on the it was a whole string of pretty meaningless coincidences, but it was not in any way a coincidence that this today, the day of accumulation at the project, the day of the unveiling, the day of the, that the heart of gold was finally to be introduced to a marvelling universe, the galaxy, <coughs> <coughs> was also a great day of accumulation for Seaford Bowie Box. It was the sake of this day that he had first decided to run for presidency, a decision that went, sent waves of astonishment throughout the whole Imperial Galaxy. See for a box, president, not the, 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 the box, not the, the president, may have seen it as a clinching proof that the whole of the known creation had finally gone bananas. Seaford grinned and gave the boat an, an extra kick of speed. Seaford Beer Books, Venture, Ex Hippie, Good Timer, Cook, quite possibly, Manic Self Publishes, Terribly Bad at Personal Relationships, Often Thought to Be Completely Out of the Lunch, President. No one gone that. No one had gone bananas. Not in that way, at least. Only six people in the entire galaxy understood the principle on which the galaxy was governed, and they knew that once Sophia Cooper had announced his intention to run for presidency, it more or less a, f- a fate complaints that he was the ideal local presidency fodder. What they completely failed to understand is why Seaford was doing it. He banked sharply, shooting in the wild, raw water at the sun. Today was not the day.
But today was the day. Today was that day when they would realise that Zephyr, Zephyr had been up to. Today was what Zephyr, for what his presidency was all about. Today was also his hundredth birthday. But that was just another meaningless coincidence. As he skipped his boat across the sea of Dagobah, he smiled quietly to himself about the wonderful, exciting day he was going to be. He relaxed and spread his two arms lazily across his, lazily across the seat back. He steered with an extra arm. He recently fitted just beneath his right one to help improve his ski boxing. Hey! He cooed to himself. Well, you, you, you're a real cool boy, you. But his nerves sang a song, shrilled, then a dog whistle. This island of France was about twenty miles long, five miles across the middle, sandy and crescent-shaped. In fact, it seemed to exist not so much as an island, but its own right. There's merely a means of defying the sweep and curve of a huge bay. This impression was heightened by the fact that the inner coastline of the crescent consisted almost entirely of steep cliffs, from the top of the cliff to the land that sloped slowly down five miles to the opposite shore. On one of the cliffs stood a reception committee. It consisted large parts of the engine consisted in large part of engineers and researchers who built the heart of gold, mostly humanoid. But there and here were a few reptiloid antonomers, two or three green synth like maxim galaxies, oxypod so Structurists or two and a hulavuluvu. A hulavuluvu is a super intelligent shade of colour blue. Almost set to the hulavulu was in their multicoloured several lab coats. The hulavulu had been temporarily re- refracted into a free standing prison for the occasion. It was a mood of immense excitement f- thrilling through all of them. Together they'd been between them when they had gone to and beyond the furthest limits of physical laws, we instructed the fermented fabric of matter, strained, twisted and broken laws of possibility and impossibility. But still the greatest excitement of all that seemed to be meet a man with an orange sash around his neck. An orange sash was that of the president of the galaxy especially worn. It might not have made it much difference to them they know exactly how much power the president of the galaxy actually wielded none at all only six people in the galaxy knew that the job of the galaxy president was not to wield perda but to attract attention away from it Tifa Peterbox was amazingly good at this job the crowd was grass dazzled by the sun and seamanship as the president's speedboat zipped around the headland into the bay, it flashed as shone its as it came skating over the sea in wild skating run turns. In fact, it didn't need to touch the water at all because it sported on a hazy cushion of ionized atoms. But but for the effect it fitted with thin thin, thin blades which could be lowered into the water. They slashed sheets of water hissing into the air, carved deep gashes in the sea that which swayed crazily and sunk down back foaming into the boat's wake as it careered across the bay. Zephyr loved effect. It was what he was best at. 
You twist the wheel sharply. The boat, boat swilled, stewed round in wild saving skid beneath the cliff face and dropped to rest lightly on the rocking waves. Within seconds, he ran onto the deck and waved and grinned at all, 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 over three billion people. Three billion people aren't exactly there, but they watched his every gesture for the eyes of a small robot tried down cameras, which hovered upgradesly in the air nearby. The antics of the president always made him Amazing popular tri-day, that, that's what they were there for. He grinned again, the three billion and six people didn't know that today would be a bigger antic than anyone had bargained for. The robot camera honed in for a close-up, and on the most popular of his two heads, he waved again. He's roughly humanoid in appearance, except for the extra head and third arm. His flare trousers hair stuck out of random directions. His blue eyes glinted with something completely undeventful. His chins were almost always almost unshaven. A twenty-four foot transparent globe floated next to his boat, rolling and bobbing, glistening in the brilliant sun. Inside it floated a wide semicircle sofa, a whole holstered in glorious red leather. The more the globe bobbed and rubbed around, the more the sofa would stay perfectly still, steady as an upholstered rock. Again, all, all done for effect as much as anything. So Freud stepped through the wall of the globe, relaxed on the sofa. He spread his two arms lazy across the back, and in the third brushed some dust off his knees. His head looked around, smiling. He put his feet up. And, any moment, he thought, he might scream. Water boiled up, up beneath the bubble. It seethed and sprouted. The bubble surged into the air, bubbling, rolling on the water sprout. Up it climbed between stilts of the light and at the cliff. Up it surged on the jet, the water falling from beneath it, it crashing back into sea hundreds of feet below. Seyfried smiled, picturing himself, a thoroughly ridiculous form of transport, but a thoroughly beautiful one. At the top of the cliff, the globe wavered at the moment, tipped at the valley ramp, rolled down to a small concave platform and ready to a halt. To a tremendous applause, Seyfried Bodebox stepped out of the bubble, his orange stash blazing in the light. The president of the galaxy had arrived. He waited for the applause to die down and raised his hands, greeting. Hi, he said. A government spider sidled into him and attempted to press a copy of his prepared speech into his hands. Pictures, three, seven, the original version were at the moment floating suddenly on the deep going sea, some five miles out to the bay. Page one, two had been salvaged by Double Grand. Fold Crescent Eagle and already become incorporated into an extraordinary new form of nest that which the Eagle had invented is constructed largely of paper. It's virtually impossible for a newly hatched baby eagle to break out of it. The Dungan Food Crystal Eagle had heard the notion of survival of the species but wanted to no truck truck with it.
Chief of folks would not be needing his set speech, his gentle deflection, and one thing, the one thing offered him by the spider. Hey, he said again. Everyone beamed at him, at least at nearly everyone. He singled out Trillian from the crowd. Trillian was a girl, and Zephyr had picked up whilst visiting the planet. Just for fun, incognito, she was slim, darkish, humanoid, with long waves, dark hair, a full mouth, an extra, an odd little knob of a nose, and ridiculously brown eyes. The other red hair scarf knotted in a particular way. A long flowing silky brown dress, she looked like a vaguely Arabic. But not anyone who had ever heard of an Arab, of course. Arabs have very re- recently ceased to exist. Even, even if they existed, there were only 500,000 million nights like years from Dogren. Trillin wasn't any, anyone in particular, or so Zeva claimed. She went around with him rather a lot and told him what she thought of him. Hi, honey, he said to her. She flashed him a a tight smile and looked away. Then she looked back at something else. Hi, he said with a small knot of a creature from the press who was standing nearby, what, wishing he could stop saying hi and get on with the quotes. He grinned at them, particularly because he knew that in a few moments he would be giving him one hell of a quote. The next thing he said, though, was not a lot of use to them. One of the officials at the party had only decided the president was clearly not in the mood to read the deliciously turned speech that had been written by him and flipped the switch on a remote control device in his pocket. Way in front of them a huge white dome that bulged between the sky, cracked down in the middle, split and slightly folded itself down into the ground. Everyone grasped, they, although they had perfectly, had perfectly known perfectly well it was going to do that because that was built that way. Beneath it lay, lay down, covered a huge starship, 150 metres long, shaped like a street, sleek, street, sleek running shoe, perfectly white and mind-bogglingly beautiful. At the part of it, unseen, lay a small gold box that carried within it some brain-wrenching device ever conceived a vice that made his starship in the history of the galaxy, a device after which the ship had been named the Heart of Gold. Well, said Vitz, read the box to the, in, to the Heart of Gold. There wasn't much else he could say. He did say it again because he knew it, it, it would annoy the press. Wow. The crowd turned their faces towards him expectantly. He winked, he winked at Trillian, who raised her eyebrows and widened her eyes at him. He knew that he was about to say, and it thought him a terrible show-off. This is, that is really amazing, he said. This is truly amazing. That is so amazing, Maisie. I think I'd like to steal it. A marvellous provincial quote, actually true to form. The crowd laughed appreciately. These men fleetly punched buttons on the pneumatics and the president grinned. As he grinned, his heart screamed unbearably and he fingered a small parallel meter bomb and nestled quietly in his pocket.
Firstly, you finally could bear it no more. He lifted his hands up to the sky, let a wild whoop in three, in three ma- major thirds, threw the bomb to the ground and ran forward through the sea of a sudden frozen smiles. Chapter 5 Prosthetic Vulgan Gels was not present present sight, even for other, even for other Vulgans. His highly doomed nose rose high above a small piggy forehead. His dark green rubbery skin was thick enough for him to play the game of Vulgan civil service politics. Play it well, the waterproof enough for him to survive indefinitely at sea depths of up to a thousand feet with no real effects. Not that you ever went swimming, of course. Your busy schedule could not allow it. He was the way he was because of billions of years ago when Vogels had first called out of the sluggish primeval seas of Vogelsphere that had a rain painting heaving on the planet's virgin soil. Spot shorts. When the first rays of the bright young Vosian sun have shone across them that morning, it was as it forces of evolution to be given up on them and then had it turned aside in disgust and written them off as an ugly, unfortunate mistake that never rolled again and should have never survived. The fact is, they did it's some kind of tribute to the thick wheeled, suckish brain stubbornness of these creatures, evolution. They said to themselves, who needs it? And what, and what nature refused to do for them, they simply did without, until such a time as they were able to rectify the glossal and anatomical inconveniences with surgery. Meanwhile, the natural forces on the planet Vesifer had been working overtime to make way for the earlier blunder. They brought forth scathing jeweled scuttling crabs, which the Vulgans ate, smashing their shells with iron mallets. Tools barring trees with breathtaking scentless and colour, which Vogels cut down and bur- burned the crab meat with. E- elegant, girl like creatures with woven coats, so silken coats with dewy eyes, which the Vogels would catch and sit on. There was no use as transport because their backs would snap instantly, but Vogels sat on them anyway. Thus the planet Vosophere wheeled away. Unhappiness millennia until its Vogels suddenly discovered the principles instead of uh, travel. Within a few short Vogue years, every last Vogan had migrated to the Magarose Cluster, the political hub of the currency, and now formed the immensely powerful backbone of the Galaxy Civil Service. They attempted to acquire learning, they attempted to acquire style and social grace, but in most respects, the modern Vogan is more difficult different from his primitive forebearers. Every year they import 27,000 skiddling jeweled scuttling crabs for their native planet and while away happy drunken nights smashing them the bits of iron mallets. Poetic Vulgan Jez was a fairly typical Vulgan in that he fairly vile. Also, he did not like hitchhikers. Somewhere in a small dark cabin buried deep in the intestines of Poetic Vulgan just his flagship, a small match flared nervously. The owner of the match was not a Vogan, but he knew all about them. The night of the nervous 
and, and he's right to be nervous. His name is Full Prefect Doom. He looked about the cabin to see why, but he could see very little. Strange monstrous shadows loomed and leaped with thin, tiny flickering flame, but they were always quiet. He breathed a silent thank you to the Demiris. The Demiris are a unruly tribe of Gulareds. A wild but pleasant bunch from the Rogans had recently taken to employing as cane staff in their long hoof fights. They were strict and standing, they keep themselves very much to themselves. They suit the Demiris fine because they love Rogan money which is one of the hardest currencies in space, but loathed the Vogons themselves. Only sort of Vogon Duris light to see he was annoyed at Vogon. It was because of this tiny piece of information that full prospect was not no, now a whiff of hydrogen ozone and carbon monoxide. He, made, he heard a slight groan by the light of the match. He saw a heavy shape moving slightly on the floor. Quickly shook the match out, reached in his pocket, found that he was moving, looking for, and took it out. He crouched to the floor and moved the shape, moved away again. Pulfetch said, I bought you some peanuts. Arthur Dent moved, groaned, muttering incredibly. Here, have some, urged Ford, shaking the packet again. If you've been through a matter transfer, being before you probably lost some salt and protein. Beer should have crushed your system a bit. Uh, said Arthur Dent, his eyes open. It's dark, he said. Yes, said Fog Prefect, it is dark. At that moment, the bottom fell out of the... Arthur's mind. His eyes turned inside out. His feet began to leak out the top of his head. The room folded flat from him, spun around, shifted out of existence and left him sliding into his own navel. They were passing through hyperspace. The Babelfish, said Hypatrigo's guide to the galaxy quietly. It's a small yellow lynch-like and probably the oddest thing on the planet, the universe. It feeds on brainwave energy, not from its career, but those around it, it absorbs all unconscious mental frequencies from its from its its brainwave energy to nourish itself with. It then squeaks into the mind of the carrier terrific mentors, formed by coming the conscious fault frequencies with nerve signals picked up from speech centers of the brain, which supplies them. The practical upshot of this is that you can stick a baby fish in your ear. You can instantly understand anything said in any form of language. The speech patterns you actually hear decoded the brain-made matrix which have been fed to your mind through a babelfish. Now, it's such a bizarre and probably coincidence that everything so mind-benefitly useful could be purely, could evolve purely by chance that some thinkers are chosen to see it is the final clinical proof of the non-existence of God. The argument goes something like this. I refuse to believe that I exist, says God, for proof devise faith, and without faith I'm nothing. But, says man, the baby fish is a dead giveaway, isn't it? It could have not evolved by chance. It proves you do this. Therefore, your own arguments, you don't, you, you, therefore, by your own arguments, you don't. QED. 
Oh dear, said God, I thought of that, and probably vanished, and probably vanished in a flash of log- proper logic. Oh, that was easy sense, man. And when then call goes to prove that black is black, and lets itself, and gets it killed on the next step of crossing. First, most leading theorists claim that this argument is a load of dingoes' kidneys, but it doesn't. That doesn't stop a luminous cool blade making a small fortune when he used to, as the centre theme of his best-selling book. Well, what about wraps it up for God? Bringing me on the poor baby fish by effectively removing all barriers to the communication between different races and cultures has caused more and more ludial wars than anything else in the fish discrimination. Arthur let out a low moan. He was hard to discover the cape through Hyper Street. Hadn't killed him. He was, still, he was now six night years from the place that the Earth would have been if it still existed. Earth. Visions of the swarm. Visions of it sickly through his nauseating mind. There was no way his imagination could feel the impact of the whole Earth gone. It was too big. He prodded his feelings by thinking about his parents and his sister had gone. No reaction. He thought the people he'd been close to. No reaction. Then he thought the complete stranger he'd been standing behind the queue in the supermarket before. I felt a sudden stab and the supermarket was gone. Everything was gone. No Sir had gone. No Sir had gone. And there was no outbeat with an outcry because there was no one left to make an outcry. For now on, Nelson Collum only existed in his mind. Even though he existed in his mind, his mind struck there in this dark, smelly, steel-lined spaceship. A wave of claustrophobia closed in on him. England no longer existed. He got that. Somehow he got it. He tried again. Tried again. America. He thought it was gone. He couldn't grasp it. He decided to start smaller again. Knew it looked gone. No reaction. He, he seriously believed it existed anyway. A dog he thought had struck, stuck forever. Slightly tremor about that there. Every Bogart movie had been wiped. He said to himself, that gave him a nasty knock. McDonald's, he thought. There's no longer no such thing as McDonald's ergo. He passed out. When he came around a second later, he found he was sobbing for his mother. He jerked himself violently to his feet. Fold! Ford looked up from where he was sitting in the corner, humming to himself. He always found the actual travelling through space, through the space part of space travel, rather t- trying. Yeah, he said. If you're researching this book thing, and you're on Earth, you might have been gathering me a on it. Well, I was able to extend the ordinary entry a bit. Yes, let me see what it says in this edition. I've got to see it. Yeah, okay. He passed it over to again. Arthur grabbed hold of it, tried to stop his hands shaking, pressed the entry in a reverent page. The screen flashed and swelled and resolved a, a page to print. And Arthur stated, It doesn't have any entry. It doesn't have entry, burns out. Fold looked over his shoulder. Yes, it does. He said, Down there at the bottom of the screen, just over under Excentra Globulus, the triple beach of the hall. Erickson 6. Arthur found Ford's finger and saw his pointing. For a moment, it didn't register. Then his mind nearly blew up. What? Harmless? That's all you've got to say? Harmless? One word? Ford shrugged. Well, there are were, there were 100 billion stars in the galaxy. Only a limited amount of space for the book to move for it, so it says, he said. No one knew much about the God, Earth, the 
about the hearse, of course. Well, for God's sake, I hope you managed to rectify it a bit. Oh, yes, I've managed to trans- transmit a new entry off to the editor. It'll trim it a bit, but it's improvement. And what does it say now? said asked Arthur. Mostly harmless, admitted Ford, with a slightly embarrassed cough. Mostly harmless, shouted Arthur. What's that noise? hissed Fold. It was me shouting, shouted Fold. Arthur. No, shut up, said Fold. I think we're in trouble. You think we're in trouble? Outside door, where the sounds of marching feet, derailing, whispered Arthur. No, these are those are still tip boots, said Fold. There's a sharp ringing on that on the door. Then who is it? said Fold. Well, said Ford, if we're lucky, Chester Vogan's come to throw us out into space. And if we're unlucky, well, if we're unlucky, Ford grimly, this captain might be serious. In fact, he was going to read us some kind, so read us some of his poetry first. Chapter Seven: Vogan Poetry is, of course, the third world in the universe. The second verse is the Afrikaans of Greer. During recitation of the poet master Garofus of Frodrin, his poem Ode to a Small Lump of Green Putty, I found in my armpit, on summons night morning, four of his audience died of internal hemorrhaging. I'm present in the mid-calatic arts, lobbing cat surviving by gnawing one of his own legs. Of course, this is reported to have disappointed by poems in action. He was about to embark on a reading of his 12th book epic entitled My Favourite Bath Time Gurgles when his own major intestines, a desperate attempt at raise life and civilization, that leapt straight through his neck and throttled his brain. The very worst poetry of all, perished along with its creator, Paula Nancy Milson, turning to Greenbridge, Essex, England, instruction of planet Earth. Prosthetic Vogel and Jez smiled very slowly. That has done not so much of an effect as because he was trying to remember the sequence of muscle movements. He had a terrible therapeutic yell at his presence and was not now feeling quite relaxed and ready for a little, a little cautious. The prisoner sat in poetry appreciation chairs strapped in. Vogel's suffered no illusions at the regard of their works, Johnny held in. If early attempts to confront competition that part of the bludging instance that had accepted it as properly evolved in a cultured race. Now the only thing that kept them from going going was sheer bloody mindedness. The sweat stood out of cold on full process brow and slid around the electrodes trapped his temples. It was attached to a battery of electrical equipment, imaginary trans- intensifiers, rhythmic modulators, alternatively redistributors and simple dumpers, dump- all designed to heighten the experience of the poem. Make sure a single nuisance of poetry thought was lost. Arthur Dent sat there quivered. He had no idea what he was in for, but he knew that it wasn't he hadn't liked anything that happened so far, so he didn't think things could would likely to change. So Vogel began to read a fluid f- little passage of his own devising. Oh, fettled 
Quetzal bug, he began, spasms racked for his body. This is the worst that ever been prepared for. Thy mutilations on me as periodographer boats of, of a loogie bee. Uh, went for Trent, turning his head back as it lumps of pain frogged through it. He dimly see, he could dimly see beside him Arthur lobbing and lowering at his seat. He clenched his teeth. Just in case, the prison sat in a poetry <coughs> appreciation. Strapped in Vogan, suffered no legends. <coughs> To regard their works were generally held in. Their early attempts of, of, at composition had been part of belugging insistence that they could be set to the proper <coughs> gold cultured race, but only <coughs> that kept them going was a sheer blood numbness. Sweat ran out, <coughs> stood out, covered <coughs> and full bows picked brow, and slid round the <coughs> strap to his temples. They were attached to battery <coughs> electronic equipment, imagery and tenderfights. <coughs> <coughs> oh, <done> <coughs> Tenderfights, very many modulators, alternative researchers, and smith bumpers. <coughs> All distance are heightened experience of poem, and sure not a <coughs> simple number, simple remembrance <coughs> of poems, fault was dust. Sent a quiver. No idea what he's in for, but he knew he was all, hadn't liked anything that happened so far. He didn't think things were likely to change, but were likely to change. And Fergum began to read a fetish little passage of his own devising. Oh, fettle, fettle, he began. Spasms raked his full body, his worse than ever he'd been prepared for. My vigilations are free as period crapulations the world could be. Ah, went for a portrait, rinsing in his head. Look back at lumps of pain, thumped for it. He, he would dimly see beneath him. Arthur, lobbing and rolling in his seat, he clenched his teeth. Gulp, deplorably. He continued as merciless Vogan. My floating fumula does. His voice was rising a hard pitch with passion through the seat, and helpless he dangled me. <coughs> <coughs> Being quickly buckler bottles. I would send thee in a copper box with my buckler cone. See, I don't. Quite full of it. Through one final phasm as the luck truly enhanced another. Last night caught him four blasts across the temples. He went limp. Half a load. Now earthlings, word of Bogan, he didn't know what what proof it was, in fact. A small planet in the vicinity of Bertie's and could not care if he had. I present you with a simple choice. Either die in a vacuum of space, <coughs> pause for a metatrophic effect, or tell me how good you thought my poetry poem was. You threw yourself backwards into a huge livery black shaped seat <coughs> and watched him. He did he did smile again. He <coughs> breath. He rolled his dusty tongue ra- round his heart's mouth and moaned. <coughs> Arthur said brightly, "Actually, I quite liked it." Ford turned and gasped. <coughs> how? He was an approach that had quite simply not occurred to him. But he was surprised by Elbow that effectively obscured his nose, and therefore, oh, not bad thing. How oh, good he rolled in because. <coughs> Astonishment. Oh, yes, said Arthur. I thought that was one of the most fetful enemies, <coughs> particularly effective.
but particularly effective. Fool continued to stare at him, slowly examining his thoughts, and his truly, totally con- no! new concept. Where they really going to be able to bear face their way out of this? Yes, to continue, fighting the Vogel. Oh, and an interesting rhythmic devices too, continued Arthur, which seemed to be the counterpoint of the, uh, he floundered. Fool let in his rescue, his capacity, counterpoint, the surrealism, or the end of any metaphor of the, uh, he found but Arthur was ready again too. The humanity of the... Fool added it at him. Yes, oh yes, very sorry, sorry. The poet, poet's com, com, compassion. <laughs> Arthur felt he was on the home stretch now. Of course, try it, so the medium of the verse structure similar to the lenses. <laughs> Come to terms with the fundamental derivatives of the other. He's reaching for a triumphant cornerstone, and this one is <laughs> a profound and vivid insight, insight into earth, which suddenly gave, him, gave out on him. Fool leaped with left of cool grace. <laughs> whatever. It was the poem was about, he yelled, at the corner of his mouth. Well done, Arthur. That was very good. The program perused him for a moment in his bitter racial soul. That could have been a touch, but he, but he thought too. No, too little too late. He took, his voice took a quite quantity of cats snagging, nodding, brush nodding. So, well, that's what they're saying is that I write poetry because underneath my main, callous, heartless posterior, I really just want to be loved. He said, he paused. Is that right? Ford laughed a nervous laugh. Uh, well, yes, he said. Don't we all deep down want, you know, uh, the world <coughs> stood up? No. Well, you're completely wrong, he said. I just write poetry to throw my mean, cursed, heartless exterior to sharp belief. I've got to throw you off the ship anyway. God, take the prisoners to the number three airlock and throw them out. What? shouted Ford. Young Vogan, God, stepped forward and yanked him out of their straps with his huge, blubbery arms. You can't throw us into space, you old fool. We're going to write... We're trying to write a book. Resistance is useless, shouted the Vogel God back at him. It's the first phase he learned when he joined the Vogel group. God groups. Cults. The captain watched with detached amusement, then turned away. Arthur said around wildly. I, didn't want, I don't want to die now, he yelled. I've still got a headache. I don't want to go to heaven with a headache. I'll be cross and I won't enjoy it. God grasped him then foam beneath under around the neck and boldly defigurated him towards his captain's back. Holding them both recessing out of the bridge, he still dove claws and the captain was on his own again. Helen quietly amused himself as like he fingered his notebook of verses. Hmm, he said, counterpoint and surrealism of undergoing fetifal. He said this a moment and then closed the book with a grim smile. Well, death's too good for them, he said. A long, still lying corridor echoed to the feeble struggles of two humanoids clamped firmly under lovely bogan armpits. That is great, started Arthur. This is really terrific. Let me go, you brute. A bogan god dragged them on. Don't you worry, Ford. Don't you worry, said Ford. I think something, he said, didn't sound hopeful. Resistance is useless. Bellowed the guard. You just say things. You can't just say things like that, Summerfall. How can we maintain a positive mental attitude if you're just going to say things like that?
My God, complained Arthur. You're really talking about a positive mental reaction and don't even... You haven't answered your vote had your pilot mo panic for most straight. I wake up this morning and thought, nice relaxed day, go for a bit of reading, brush the dog. Just about after four in the afternoon, what do you phone out on a Swedish spaceship? Six million night years of smoking. Remains of Earth. Spartan gurgled as the Vogue tightened his grip. All right, said Ford. Just stop panicking. Who said who said anything about panicking? snapped Arthur. This is just a cultural shock. Wait till I settle down into a situation to find my bearings. Then I'll start panicking. Arthur was getting himself hysterical. Shut up. Ford tried desperately to think, but was interrupted by guards shouting again. Resistance is useless. Can you shut up as well? snapped Ford. Resistance is useless. I'll give you a rest, said Ford. He twisted his head. He was still looking straight up and kept his face. His fault struck him. Do you enjoy doing this thing? Sort of thing? He asked suddenly. Bogus stopped dead and the look of immense stupidity seemed slowly over his face. Enjoy? Boom. What do you mean? What do I mean? said Ford. What is it? Does it give you a full satisfaction in life? Stomping around, shouting, pushing people out of starships. Rogan stared at a low level ceiling and eyebrows almost rolled over each other. His mouth slapped funny, said, Well, the hours are good. They have to be, Creed, said Ford. Ford, what are you doing? he asked in a maze whisper. I've just taken an interest in the world around me, okay? So, the hours are pretty good then, he resumed. Rogan stared down at him, stuck his thoughts rolled around his vote. Mucky Dips, yeah, said, he said. Not now, not now, kind of mention it. Most of them, the actual minutes are pretty lousy, except, he thought again, which required looking at the ceilings. Bit of a shouting, I quite like that. Third is Linus and Bellow. Resistances? Sure, yes, interrupted, fooled hurriedly. What? You're good at that, I can tell, but it's mostly lousy. He said slowly, giving the words time to reach their mark. Then, why do you do it? What is it? The girls, the leather, the machita? Why is it you just find change to come into terms of the mindless stadium? Bill presents an interesting challenge. Ah, said God. Uh, I don't know. I think it's sort of. It, I don't really. My aunt said it was just that a base bit God was a good career for a young Vogan. You know, the uniform, the low, sluggish, dung, ray. Oh, so the riders, Tadium. There you are, Arthur, said Ford. With the air of someone reaching a conclusion of his argument. You think you've got problems? Arthur rather thought that he had. Apart from the unpleasant business with his home planet, the Vulcan God had fuddled him already. He hadn't liked the sound of being thrown out into space very much. Trying to understand his problems, said Ford. Oh, here he is, a poor lad. His entire life work is stopping around, throwing people off the spaceships. And shouting, said asked the guard, answered the guard. And shouting, sure, said Ford, patting the blubbery arm, clamped around his neck with friendly consideration. He also, I also didn't know why he was doing it, and also he don't know why he's doing it. Arthur agreed with this, very sad. He said this with a quick, feeble gesture, because he was quite, was in too sophisticated to speak. Dark rumbling, resumed came from the guard. Well, now you put it... Like that, I suppose. Good lad, encouraged Ford. But all right, went on the rumblings. 
So what's the alternative? Well, said Ford, brightly but slowly. Stop doing it, of course. Tell him, he, he went on. You're going to do it. No, not doing it right. He felt that he had something to do that. For the moment, the tea seemed to have his mind occupied, pondering on that. Um, said the guard. Ah, oh, well, that doesn't sound that great for me. Ford suddenly felt the moment slipping away. Now, wait a minute, he said. Just start to see. There's more to it than you see. But at that moment, the guard renewed his grip, continued the original purpose of lugging his prisoners to Enoch, he obviously quite touched. Now, I think I'd like it's all the same, he said. I'd better get you both shoved into the airlock and go and get almost some other bits of shouting I've got to do. It wasn't all the same to fall perfect at all. Come on now. Now look, he said, less slowly, less brightly. Ah, uh, after about a clear infiltration. Hang on, for there's music and art and things to tell you about, uh, yet, yeah, uh, is this a suggestion better to God than I did? You see, if I keep up, I could eventually get promoted to senior shouting staff. There isn't usually any vacancies in the non-shouting, non-pitchable people, about officers, so I think I'd better stick to what I know. Well, when he reached the airlock, a large circle steel hatchway of ma- massive strength and weight let into the inner skin of the craft. A guard operated control and a hatchway swung open, but thanks to but, but thanks for the, it, taking an interest, said guard. By now, Sung falling off through the hatchway into a small chamber. Arthur lay panting for a second. Ford scrambled his lungs and flung his shoulder uselessly across the reclosing the hatchway. But listen, he shouted to the guard. There's a whole world that you don't know anything about. How about this? He desperately added for the only area of comfort he knew of had. Come the first bar of fifth, but but Didn't this dirt anything in you? No, said the guard, not really. But I'll mention it to my aunt. If he said anything further after that, he was lost. The hatchway sealed itself tight. All the sound was lost, but the faint hum of the ship's engines. There was a brightly polished cylinder chamber, with six feet in diameter and foot two feet long. Potentially, quite late, I thought, he said, and stumped against the curved wall. Arthur was still lying on the curve of the wall when he fallen in. He didn't look up, he just stay panting. We're trapped, aren't we, man? Yes, I thought, we're trapped. Well, well, don't you think of anything? I thought you said you were going to think of something. Perhaps you think of something and didn't notice. Oh, yes, I thought something of Henry Look, Arthur looked up respectfully, but unfortunately, Continued for it rather involved being on the other side of the airway hatchway. He kicked the hatch just, just, it just been through. But, but it was a good, what, but was it a good idea, was it? Oh, very neat. What was it? Well, I haven't worked on details yet, but not much point now, is it? Uh, so what happens next? Oh, well, the hatchway's in front of the river, so automatically open in a few moments. We shoot out to deep space, I suspect. It's fitch situation if we take a lump of air and it lasts for thirty seconds of course, said Ford. Took his hands between his back, raised his bibles and said, Turn to start to hammer but old battle with battle with him. To Arthur's to Arthur to Arthur's eyes he looked very alien. 
So this is it, said Arthur. We're going to die. Yes, said Zep. Now wait a minute. He suddenly lunged across the chamber. There's something behind Arthur's vision. What? What's this witch? He cried. What? Where? Arthur said, turning around. No, I, I was falling, only falling. We're going to die after all. He slumped against the wall and carried on the tune from where he left off. You know, said Arthur, in times like this, I'm trapped in a bogan airlock with red from Benley's. About to die from a fixation, deep space. I wish I'd listened to my mother tell me when I was young. What did she tell you? I don't know. I didn't listen. Oh, Foles, said Foles, still hanging. This terrific thought happened to himself. Now so come was gone, McDonald's gone. No one has left me and words mostly human humanist, harmless. All second now to now that all is left is mostly harmless. And yesterday the planet seemed to be going so well. Motor world a slight hiss into a deepening roar, rushing air as the outer space hatchway opened on empty blackness with tiny impossible bright points of light. Ford and Arthur popped into Amster's face like corks on a toy gun.